Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading Ecclesiastes chapter 2 from the World English Bible. I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore enjoy pleasure. And behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, It is foolishness, and of mirth, What does it accomplish? I searched in my heart how to cheer my flesh with wine, my heart yet guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold of folly, until I might see what it was good for the sons of men that they should do under heaven all the days of their lives. I made myself great works, I built myself houses, I planted myself vineyards, I made myself gardens and parks, and I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruit. I made myself pools of water, to water from it the forest where trees were grown. I bought male servants and female servants, and had servants born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, above all who were before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered silver and gold for myself, and the treasure of kings and of the provinces. I got myself male and female singers, and the delights of the sons of men, musical instruments, and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I didn't keep from them. I didn't withhold my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced because of all my labor, and this was my portion from all my labor. Then I looked at all the works that my hands had worked and at the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and a chasing after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. I turned myself to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. For what can the king's successor do? Just that which has been done long ago. Then I saw that wisdom excels folly as far as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, and the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that one event happens to them all. Then I said in my heart, As it happens to the fool, so will it happen even to me, and why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart that this also is vanity, for of the wise man, even as of the fool, there is no memory forever, since in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. Indeed, the wise man must die just like the fool. So I hated life, because the work that is worked under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a chasing after wind. I hated all my labor in which I labored under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who comes after me. Who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool? Yet he will have rule over all of my labor in which I have labored, and in which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. Therefore I began to cause my heart to despair concerning all the labor in which I had labored under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is with wisdom, with knowledge, and with skillfulness, yet he shall leave it for his portion to a man who has not labored for it. 
This also is vanity and a great evil. For what does a man have of all his labor and of the striving of his heart in which he labors under the sun? For all his days are sorrows, and his travail is grief. Yes, even in the night his heart takes no rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat or who can have enjoyment more than I? For to the man who pleases him God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner he gives travail to gather and to heap up that he may give to him who pleases God. This also is vanity and a chasing after wind. That is the end of chapter 2. As I was reading through this chapter, I found myself wondering more and more about the meaning of the whole book, because I find it depressing. So I started by researching if it is quoted anywhere in the New Testament. It is not directly, though a few of its principles are mentioned, such as we reap what we sow in Ecclesiastes 11.1. 1. Uh, you can find referenced in Galatians 6.7 or avoid the lust of youth seen in 2 Timothy 2.22 and Ecclesiastes 11.10, or talking about the love of money as shallow and leading to evil in 1 Timothy 6.10 and Ecclesiastes 5.10. And then there's a matter of not heaping up empty phrases in prayer mentioned in Matthew 6.7 and Ecclesiastes 5.2. Now, several other Old Testament books are not directly quoted, such as Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, and the Song of Songs. So this is not a test of inspiration and whether or not belongs in the canon. And then my search landed me at an article by BibleStudyTools.com called Ecclesiastes, Theology of, and I will link to that. I'm going to read some sections from the article as I think they are hugely helpful in knowing what to do with Ecclesiastes. Remember in the last episode on chapter one, I mentioned this word Kohelet, the article on BibleStudyTools.com explains very well how understanding the use of this and the tenses, um, whether it's speaking in the first or third person, help us to understand the structure of the book. Now, they do take the position that it is not clear that Kohelet is easily identified as Solomon. I'm not going to get into that more now, but I thought I'd just mention it. They list a couple of scholars uh, as their basis for this, but they didn't give links, and I'm not looking it up more right now. So in the first part of the article, they spend a lot of time discussing certain confusion or disagreements about Ecclesiastes. And then around paragraphs six and seven, they say this, such a view of the book, however, does not take into account the book's literary structure and treats certain more negative aspects of the book as secondary, or, if not, strains at the interpretation of individual words and passages to make it fit a preconceived idea of the function of the book. On the contrary, the most natural reading of the book takes into account the presence of two speakers, Kohelet who refers to himself in the first person in chapter 1, verses 12 through chapter 12, verse 7, and a second unnamed wise person who describes Kohelet to his son, chapter 12, verse 12. In effect, the speech of Kohelet is a quotation which is framed by the words of the second speaker who is the narrator-author. And a little further down, 
Kohelet is a wisdom teacher who struggles with the traditions of his people, his most frequent refrain being meaningless. All is meaningless. The second wise person, in fact, introduces and concludes Kohelet's teaching with the refrain, as if to say this is Kohelet's basic conclusion. The lack of certainty frustrates Kohelet, but more than anything else, the lack of certainty about when you will die and the fact that we will die for certain frustrates him. And further, as far as Kohelet knows death is the end, he does not draw his readers into any sort of encouragement about the afterlife. But Kohelet's pessimistic theology is not the final word, and the author of this article uses the comparison of the book of Job to help understand it. He says also in the book of Job, while each of these speakers presents a perspective that in some respects conforms to normative biblical teaching, none of them offers the final perspective. This perspective comes only at the end when God speaks, um, compared to an Ecclesiastes where the second wise teacher's epilogue provides a better basis for um, interpreting the book of Ecclesiastes. So while the second unnamed wise teacher gives what the article calls cautious approval to Kohelet's words, because Kohelet does accurately describe the situation on earth apart from God under the sun, and he compares this to what Paul talks about in Romans 8, 18-22, where Paul explains why the world seems so meaningless to us. Quote, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation awaits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. So this is why Kohelet's search for meaning under the sun fails, because it can't be found there. So the second wise teacher talks about Kohelet's words. He compares them to goads and nails, uh, very painful things. And then he goes on to advocate a right relationship with God, obedient lifestyle, and talks about coming judgment. And the author of the article says, in this way, Kohelet affirms the Pentateuch, wisdom, and the prophets. So here we have the gospel in a nutshell in Old Testament language. And two more quotes to end with from this article. But from our New Testament perspective, we can see how Jesus Christ allows us to transcend the meaningless of the post-fall world. And then Christians read this and rejoice because they know that Jesus suffered the world under curse in order to release them from the meaninglessness of the fall. Thus, all the areas that Koholet struggled with, work, riches, wisdom, may be properly enjoyed and are imbued with meaning. After all, Jesus Christ did away with the one thing that bothered Koholet the most, death. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey. 